right, welcome. Welcome to Calvary Napa. Glad that you guys are here with us today. Uh, happy Father's Day. And uh, I'd like to start the service off by praying for the, the dads in here and pray for our service, and then we will get into today's text. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. And we thank you that you are a good, good father unto us. And I thank you, Father, that you have blessed us. Uh, many of us in here have had godly uh, men and fathers in our lives, and we have godly men in this room and uh, godly fathers. And I thank you for that. They are a blessing to us. We thank you for the family, God, that you, you ordained the family structure and you have blessed it, God, and you honor it. And I, I just pray for the men of this church. I pray for the dads. I pray a special blessing upon them, God, as they seek to provide for their families, as they seek to lead their families well and to model Christ and to disciple their families and to love their wives and to love their children. And it's a, it's a hard job, Lord. It's a very rewarding one. Um, but it's something that, that you honor, God, and that you call us to. And so I... I pray for the men, Lord, and I ask Your blessing upon them, and I pray that truly today they would feel the love, God, and that they would be encouraged and blessed on this Father's Day. I thank You for the service. I thank You for the Word that I had to share with my brothers and sisters here. I pray that You would receive honor, God, because You're worthy of it. You're worthy of everything that we have to give You and more. And I pray that You would open Your Word to us, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we would see you in the scriptures, that our hearts would rejoice within us, and that we would come to life, Father, and that we would worship you, and that we would bring you the honor that you deserve. And so, God, would you please move in our midst today, for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I just wrapped up a, a series last week called Kingdom Perspective. And um, it's been several weeks of pretty weighty messages talking about how we're supposed to be living our lives right now while our king is away. We serve another king, we belong to another kingdom, and we know that one day our king Jesus is going to return and there are certain expectations that he has for us in this life. So I talked about kingdom perspective, kingdom mentality. And so uh, we wrapped that up, and I'm going to be going into a new series next week. But I thought for now, I just wanted to take one week and pause and just look at Christ. Look at God the Father. Look at what they have done for us. Uh, instead of a do more message, this is more of a look at what Christ has accomplished. Look at the Father. Look at how glorious He is. And I just want us to set our hearts afresh on Him. You know, guys, I think oftentimes what we want is a message with a bunch of, what do I do now? Give me more practical stuff. And that's good because we want to walk this stuff out. But sometimes we need to just stop and we need to set our hearts on God afresh. And we need to just consider, again, what He has done for us and what it's all about ultimately. And so that's why I chose this text. And I've titled it, Spiritual Blessings and God's Glory as the Goal. Because that's what it's about in the end. It's about God's glory. And that is overwhelmingly clear in this text. And so we're going to see how we are blessed spiritually and how it's all about God's glory in the end. 
In this text, there's a few things that stand out to us. One, God's plan from eternity to eternity is laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. We're going to see that God's purposes are fulfilled in Christ. And we're going to see that God's people are to live to the glory of His grace. This is a majestic text. And this is why we come to church, folks. We come to consider God, to consider who He is, to consider what He has done, to consider how our lives are to be shaped by that. And my prayer is that we would uh, allow our minds and hearts to be changed to the end, that we would start thinking like this. Are we living for the glory and the honor of God in all that we do day by day? Because we can do that in so many ways. Whether you're exercising, you can do that to the glory of Christ. Whether you're working, whether you are cleaning, whether you are reconciling in a relationship that has fallen apart, you can do all of that to the honor of God, to the glory of His name. And every day that is lived for the glory of God is a day that's worth being above ground. And so I, that's my prayer, that I would see things in that way, that I would think in that way, that we all would. And that's what God desires. And so we're going to see in this text of Scripture how the Father works, how the Son works, and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so it's a very Trinitarian text. And what's cool about this is that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the Trinity, is it not? And it's a mystery to us, and we never will fully grasp it, but it makes it a little easier when we consider how we interact with the Trinity, how we relate to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because God created the heavens and the earth, He created you and I, God recognized that in our, our separation from Him as we are, uh, the Bible says, rebels by nature and not walking in His ways, God made a way for us to be redeemed and reconciled back to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to this earth. He lived a life that none of us have lived, a life that we cannot live, a life of perfection and obedience unto God's law. And then He died the death that we deserve uh, for all that we have done for our sins and for our, our failures and for our rebelliousness. The, the punishment that should be on us was put on Him on that cross. And then He rose again from the grave three days later proving that He was victorious over death, over sin, over Satan. He rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are filled, we are led, we are taught, we are comforted by the Holy Spirit. And so we see how we interact with the three different members of the Godhead individually. And that's, here's a, a fancy term for that. It's called the economic trinity. The economic trinity. Um, it, it's interesting, we understand the trinity on that level, but what was the trinity like before there was creation? Right? How, how would you understand the Trinity then when you don't have creation to compare them to? That is called the ontological Trinity. Just for you Bible nerds out there, take that down. That was for free. So anyways, what we're going to see, three main things in this text. One, that we are chosen by the Father. Two, that we are redeemed by the Son. And three, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what's, uh, how our text is laid out before us today. So let's get busy. Let's get to work. One, we are chosen by the Father, verses 4 through 6. Verse 3, uh, excuse me, verses 3 through 6. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. 
So the word blessed is used twice in this verse, but they're used in two very different ways. In the first, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes you might hear people say, Bless your holy name. God, I want to bless you. And I've heard people argue against that and say, No, no, no. God blesses us. We don't bless Him. But that's not what the word means. It literally means praised. Be praised, God. That is to say, worthy of commendation. To ascribe worth to God. And it feels weird sometimes even talking like that. Like, I don't feel like I'm worthy to even tell God that He's worthy, right? But God calls us to tell of His glorious worth and to praise His name. And He is worthy of it. And so, blessed be the name of our God. And so, that's, that's the idea here. But then there's another blessing here. And this blessing is for us. So, blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This is a different sense. It's the, the word as we normally understand it. That is, to act kindly toward or to provide some kind of benefit. And that's what God has done to us. God has blessed us. God has been so kind to us. And that's God's nature. That's because God overflows with generosity, with love, with kindness, with goodness. God in no way needed us, but because of who God is, he chose to create us so that He could lavish goodness upon us. And this is all for His own glory. And so this text, the way that it is laid out, it starts in verse 3 by telling us that we are blessed with all of these blessings in heavenly places. And then from here it starts to just lay them out for us one by one. Each one builds upon the other. And so this is a list of spiritual blessings. And one word about that before I move on. Guys, we are awfully concerned about earthly blessings. Are we not? I mean, daily. That's, that's what we're thinking about. That's what we're living for. That's what we are distracted by. But we have innumerable spiritual blessings that have been secured for us in Christ. And that's what we are to be living for. That is what we are to be rejoicing in. That's what we are to be building up for ourselves in heaven because that can never be taken from us. We'll never go bankrupt there. No one can ever steal that. And so that is what we are to be striving towards. It says in Colossians chapter 3 that we're to set our mind on heavenly things, that which is above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. And so that's what we have before us in this text. We're going to consider today God and the blessings that are ours in Him. And His glory is the end of it all. His glory is the goal. And so that's my heart for us today, that God would be honored and that God would receive glory as we consider Him in this text. So verse 4, it says, here's the first one, "...just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love." So God chose we're told that God chose us before the foundation of the world. I love that. God is a choosing God. He is a deliberate, pursuing, intervening God. He reaches down and pulls us up, pulls us out of that pit when we weren't seeking Him. The Bible says that no one seeks after God. No one does good. No, not one. But God reaches out in love and He intervenes in our lives graciously and mercifully and He pulls us up. He pursues us even when we weren't pursuing Him. And so I love this about God. And we're told that He knew us even before the foundation of the world. God had all this marked out. 
Jeremiah 1.5, he says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew who you were. Before you were born, I had ordained you. I've set you apart to be a prophet. It's like God says to Jeremiah, I already knew who you were before you were even born. I knew you. I knew everything about you. I knew everything that you were ever going to do. I had a calling for your life and something that I have created you specially for. And that is God. He, has, he knows us. He loves us. He chose us. He knew us before we were born and our lives are marked out. And He has called us, chosen us to be holy and to be without blame and before Him in love. We are to be a different people. We are to be a peculiar people. We are His own personal possession. A people that are set apart. We are not like the world, but we live our lives unto Him. And that is what we have been chosen to be before the foundations of the world. To be an innocent people. To be a people who stand before Him in love. That we would be in right relationship with our Maker. That was God's design. That's God's intention. He chose us that we would be in right relation with Him, that we would be innocent and holy in His sight, and that we would love Him because He's worthy of it. In verse 5, it says, "...having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved." So here we get into uh, the, the concept of predestination. We'll talk a little bit about this, but let me just say that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've got an opinion about predestination. And people can be very inflammatory about this. People can get really hot. And it's been a thing, it's been a debate in the church for a long time. But you know what? It shouldn't be that way. This is a glorious truth. It's Bible. God is glorified in it. This is what God has done. So I don't want to try to explain it away. I don't want to try to soften it. I want to honor God in what the Bible clearly says He is glorified in. And we are told that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That He predestined us. It literally means predetermined, marked out beforehand. The word actually means before the horizon. As far as the eye can see, where the horizon ends pre-established predetermined boundaries god is in control god is intimately involved in infinite wisdom and knowledge and love and truth and it says that we were predestined for what for adoption predestined for adoption that we would be god's beloved children see god didn't have to save us god did that because he's merciful God saved us and He could have just said, okay, you're forgiven, now go. He didn't do that. He didn't even stop there. He ushered us into His family and made us children. Children of the Father. You know, the, the thing about adoption, I heard a story years ago. A family had adopted a child and, and the, the other siblings at times ridiculed or even mocked the child because they weren't uh, naturally born into that family. And so there came a day when the child said to the other, the other siblings, it's true, I am adopted. But the, the reality is, is they chose me. They didn't choose you. They didn't even have a choice in the matter. And that's the way it is, guys. We have been chosen in love by the Father because of 
how good He is and how loving He is. And we're told here that it was according to the good pleasure of His will. Because God delights in it. Because it's His will, it's His plan, and He takes pleasure in that. God delights in what He does. God is glorified in all that He does. And God takes pleasure in His own will. And it says that we were made accepted in the Beloved. Beloved, we have been made accepted in the Beloved. When God gave His Beloved Son, we were made accepted. We were brought in. We were made no longer enemies, but now beloved children. And all of this, we're told, is to the praise of His glorious grace. That's the goal, folks. We are a people that are uniquely qualified to honor God for His grace because we have received it. Grace upon grace. As a fallen and redeemed people, we are qualified to praise God as a saving God, as a glorious and forgiving God, as a restoring God, a redeeming God. And so it is all to the praise of His glorious grace. Amen? And so that's the Father. Chosen by the Father. Now we move into the next part of the text. We're going to see that we are redeemed by the Son. Redeemed by the Son. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So we've been redeemed, folks. That literally means that we have been bought back. It is the buying back from or the winning back what was previously forfeited or lost. And the Bible says that we were slaves sold under sin. That we were dead in trespass and sin. That we were lost. But that Jesus as the conquering King has purchased us out of that slavery and now we belong to Him. He's bought us back and we are His. And that came by His blood, through His blood, the death of the innocent one. The death of the Holy Lamb. Guys, we have been bought at a high price. Sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Do you want to know how much God loves you? Just consider what God paid to redeem you. He gave His Son the most precious thing that He had, His Beloved. Jesus gave His life upon that cursed tree. He shed His blood that we could be bought back, that we could be redeemed, ransomed, forgiven. That is a high price to pay. And this is according to the riches of His grace, as it says. It's on the basis of His kindness. It goes back to that over and over again. Not because we deserved it. Not because we're good. We know we're not good. You know, sometimes I hear people say stuff like that. I just don't know how God could love me because I'm, I've done, look at what I've done. Or, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. We, we're all in that same boat. It's not about us. It's about how good He is. It's about how great the cross is. It's about how kind and rich and mercy God is. You can't out the cross. You can't out God's goodness. It's greater. He made it abound toward us in all wisdom. It is super abundant. God's grace knows no limits. It knows no bounds. Such is the amazing grace of our God because He is an amazing God. We have an amazing Savior in Jesus Christ. In verse 9 it says that having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which both, uh, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So God has made known to us a mystery. Anytime the Bible talks about a mystery, the word mystery, the idea is it's something that was hidden, something that was unknown, something that was unseen, but that at a point in time it was unveiled. The curtain was pulled back and it was revealed and we see it. And so there's a mystery, the mystery of God's will which was hidden for many ages and generations has now been revealed to us according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. I want you to catch that phrase. We're going to see this reoccurring theme here. And I will summarize it like this. Man, God is for God. God is for God. It's according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Himself. We're really good about making everything about us. But at the end of the day, it ain't about me and it ain't about you. It's all about Him and His glorious grace. And that is ultimately why He does what He does. And He's glorious for it. And we're told here that in the dispensation, in the fullness of times, the idea here in this phrase is that God has been building something. He's been building something from age to age in every generation. And to date, God is building His church. God is building a church. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. And through every generation, age, nation, tongue, on earth and in heaven now, there is this glorious church. These people who love God and have been saved by Him and are praising Him forever. That's what God is doing. And one day that project is going to be complete. One day He will have built His church. And it will be over. And we will all come together and He will bring us all together in one in Him. And that's going to be an amazing thing to consider, folks. And we're a part of that. we got our little plot right here and right now in this time that we live, in this place that we live. But we stand in a long line of brothers and sisters who have gone before us and many to come. And we are in the middle of that. You know, God's doing something huge. God's doing something so much bigger than us. And we, it's so easy for us to get distracted down here about what's going on today. There's all kinds of craziness going on out there. And we are constantly being pulled in a million different directions. And we have our own drama, do we not? Who, who in here doesn't have drama going on in their lives right now? And that's the way life is. And we can get caught up on that. But the reality is God is doing something major league. And He's been doing it for thousands of years. And we are just a speck in the middle of that. And one day He's going to bring it all together. And we're going to realize that there was something going on that was so much bigger than the little, the little uh, you know, drama that we were getting wrapped up in. All that will have disappeared in light of His, His glory and His grace. Well, verse 11, it says, "...in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will." that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. So we have an inheritance, brothers and sisters. Like I said, God didn't have to save us, but He did. God didn't have to bring us into His family, but He did. God didn't have to give us an inheritance, but He has. That is amazing to me. And 
And in the culture in which Paul was writing, they would understand this very well, but the Roman practice and custom of the day regarding adoption was generally for this very reason. A family would have an inheritance. They needed someone to pass it on to. And more often than not, that would be the reason for adoption. And so maybe they had someone in the family who was uh, the next in line, but they were considered not competent, incompetent to handle the weight of responsibility and inheritance. So they would adopt someone who could carry that on for the family. And God has done that. God has adopted us into His family and lavished upon us an inheritance. And we're told that we were predestined to this end. Predestined according to His purpose. All things according to the counsel of His will. You know, a couple things I want to say here. Regarding the, the doctrine of, of predestination, you know, as we're talking about it, and I've said that people have a lot of different views about it and they get heated. Um, I think I'm, I have, may have already said this in the beginning, but I just I want us to recognize that this is something that, that God takes great delight in. And I'm going to talk about this again here shortly as we wrap up. But, uh, you know, we, we, I want you to recognize God's in control. God's in control. God does what He wants to do. And some of this is a mystery to us, and our minds may not comprehend all of it. But Psalm 115.3 says this, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth and in the seas. And so this is a glorious thing. Guys, you need to know that. You need to know that you belong to a God who is in control. You belong to a God who is sovereign. Because when your life is shaking and it's falling apart, you know what you have? You have the sure hope of a God who loves you, who chose you, who has been working in your life, and who knew you before you were even born, and He's going to see you through to the end. And all of this to the praise of His own glory. And we're told here that he who trusted in Christ would be to the praise of his grace. Guys, for us who have trusted in Christ, it is all for the praise of God's grace. If you want to brag about something, if you want to boast about something, boast about that. That you know God and that you've received His grace. I believe again in, in Jeremiah, it says, Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the wealthy boast in their wealth. Let not the, the wise boast in their wisdom. If you're going to brag, if you're going to glory in anything, glory in that you know God. You know, we look at someone who's very intelligent and we can get intimidated, right? Trying to have a conversation with them, you realize quickly this person's on another level. Or you get around someone who's very wealthy and you think, oh man, and you start to kind of look at them a little different and feel intimidated. Or someone who's, who's very strong and has a lot of power but God said, you don't, don't be impressed with any of that. You know what you should be impressed with? Be impressed with the fact that you know me. You know the living God. God is to be honored. And we can only boast in Him when it's all said and done. And lastly, we have three being sealed by the Spirit. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So in Him you trusted. And this is the other side of the coin. When we talk about God's choosing and, and predestination, you have a responsibility to believe. You have to trust. When you hear the message, you must respond. It doesn't work if you don't believe. You have to believe in Christ. I told a story in the first service uh, years ago, 1800s. Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, when he first really launched off into ministry, he had great conflict with a, with a group of, of pastors in that area, and they were known as what we would call hyper-Calvinist. And uh, they were telling Spurgeon, you can't tell people to believe in Jesus because you don't know if they've been called. You don't know if they've been predestined. And so you don't have the right to tell them that or to call them to that. And so the battle joined. And as ridiculous as that may sound, it was a huge controversy. But he won that battle because that's ridiculous. We are called to preach the gospel to every living creature and to call every man and woman to belief in Christ Jesus. And you must trust in Him for salvation. There is no other way. There is no other name. You must put trust in Jesus. I've heard it put like this. It's going to be like this when we go into heaven. I, I don't say this literally, but I think this is, this is a great picture of what it's like. You're approaching heaven. You see the gates. There's a sign that says, Whosoever will come. You go through that gate into heaven and you turn around and on the other side of the wall up top it says, Predestined before the foundations of the earth. And so it's this mystery to us and it's this glorious paradox almost of these two truths that God has chosen, that God has predestined, but we must believe. You must trust Christ. You must call upon His name. And we're told that when you do, having believed, you would be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what is this idea of being sealed with the Holy Spirit? What does this mean? Well, one commentator says this, God's own Spirit comes to indwell in the believer and secures and preserves His eternal salvation. The sealing of which Paul speaks refers to an official mark or identification placed on a letter or a contract or some other document. That document was thereby officially under the authority of the person whose stamp was on the seal. So you kind of have the idea of a letter being closed and then um, some kind of clay being put over it, and then a signet ring being stamped over the clay, and it is sealed shut, and it comes with the authority of the person who wore the ring and stamped it. And so this seal brought security, authenticity, ownership, and authority. It carried all of that. And that's the idea that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are secure there is the authenticity of God in our lives. There is the ownership. We belong to Him. And there is the authority of God on our lives and in our lives. And Paul says that this is the guarantee. This is the guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee is also down payment. That's the idea. So if you're going to purchase something and you put down some money, that is you saying, I'm going to make good on this. I'm going to buy this and I'm giving you money up front just to show you it's a pledge. And that's the idea with the Holy Spirit. One day we will be in glory with God. He is going to get us across that finish line. He's given us His Holy Spirit to accomplish that and to 
demonstrate to us that He means what He says. That is God's guarantee. That is God's pledge. His down payment until the day of redemption, of God's purchased possession. Until that day. That day when we are totally redeemed. Finally redeemed. Wearsby puts it like this. We have been redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. We are being redeemed as the Spirit works in our lives to make us more like Christ. And we shall be redeemed when Christ returns and we become like Him. God is working. God has redeemed us. He is redeeming us. And one day He will redeem us completely when we are in His presence. And all of this, all of this, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory, God delights in His own glory. That is the ultimate reason for what God has done, all that He has done in the end. This is the reason for us as Christians to live. We live to that end. We live to, to bring honor and joy and pleasure to our Father. We glorify Him in salvation. We glorify Him in every aspect of our lives. And that is a very practical thing. And so I, I want to, to kind of close on this note here, but that's my prayer for me, that's my prayer for you. That's what God desires. And that's what God would have of the Christian. So what we're doing, what we busy ourselves with, what we set our hearts and our minds to, would you say that that honors God in your life? Would you say you live a life day by day? Can you at the end of the day stop and take account of your day and say, today was a day that I honored Christ with my life. Today was a day well spent. In this instance or that instance, I had this, this opportunity before me to interact with this person and I was able to share Christ with them or display some kind of Christ-likeness to them. Or I had an opportunity to sin here and I chose not to. I chose to honor Christ in obedience instead or whatever the case may be, from one point to the other and all throughout, there are so many ways throughout the day that we can stop and do what we do to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink whatsoever you do, all to His glory. And so I would encourage you guys, just periodically throughout the day, as you are enjoying different things, as you are stepping to different responsibilities, as you are engaging with different people, stop and say, Thank you, Father. Thank you that I have the ability to enjoy this thing. You gave this to me and I honor you in it. Or thank you for this relationship. I pray that this would be a relationship that honors you. Or thank you for this job. You've given me the ability to work with my hands and to earn this income. Thank you, Father. Honor Him in it. In everything that we do, we can honor Christ. And that's what it's all about. Unto His glory. Amen? Pastor Joe, you want to close us in a song? Let me pray for us. And uh, Pastor Joe will lead us in one last song. Heavenly Father, we come to You in the name of Jesus and we, we worship You. And You are worthy, God, of it all. I thank You, Father, and I trust that You have been glorified today as we sing to You and as we look to Your Scriptures, God, Your revelation of Yourself to us and as we seek to know more about You as we reflect on what You accomplished for us, God, we bring honor to You and we glorify You in it. And I pray that You would help us, God, to live lives like that. Help us to have that kingdom perspective. Truly, that's what it is. Day by day, Father, living lives that are worthy of the calling with which You placed on our lives. Living lives that are worthy of You, God. 
as we seek to serve you and to know you and to share you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.